Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Welcome back, friend. And if this is your first time here, welcome home. You see, I consider you part of the family. If you find this conversation, if you find this series of conversations valuable for you, then you are a kindred spirit, and um, I'm your Uncle Dan. (laughs) Not the weird Uncle Dan, but I'm the fun Uncle Dan. (laughs) You know, it's funny, uh, the only people that call me Dan anymore are my brothers and my sisters. And of course, my nieces and nephews call me Uncle Dan. Everyone else refers to me as Daniel. But uh, the reason I began this podcast was, one, to have an outlet for all the things bouncing around in my head, you know, the last 30, 40 years of research and coaching and living. And then again, to attract a tribe, to attract people that resonated with my message, that resonated with my energy. I mean, I really don't want to appeal to everybody, but I, the people that are attracted here, I want to provide information, a sense of community, and a sense of compassion for your journey, empowering you to create the best life possible, to have the a greatest amount of satisfaction and joy. Joy! Joy is the word. Joy is the word. Now, if you weren't aware, my last name, De Novi, means of the new community. It's French. So if you're new here, welcome home. And by all means... You're welcome to join us in our Facebook group, the Align Self Podcast Listeners Facebook group, and please answer the questions. If you don't answer the questions, I won't let you in because it, it tells me that you're not part of the community. But seriously, there's only three questions. The first one is, what would you like to explore more? What would you like me to talk about? What uh, interests you? That way, it gives me fodder. It gives me ideas on things to bring out or dive into more. And the second question is, how did you hear about the Facebook group? Well, the answer is on the podcast. That way I know that you're a podcast listener. If you say anything else other than on the podcast, I won't let you in. Because I want people that are part of the conversation, that are part of the community. And the last question is, will you play nice? Will you, you know, honor the the rules and the regulations? And there really aren't many regulations. It's just play nice and respect other people. And whatever is revealed or shared inside the Facebook group stays there. It's a private group, so things that are posted cannot be shared outside the group. So with that said, uh, today's episode is going to be more about the reticular activating system. Now, a couple episodes ago, I talked about the reticular activating system with the promise that I would go in deeper. We're also going to talk about questions, the power of questions, or the power of asking the most appropriate question, and the confirmation bias. So the reticular activating system I touched upon in uh, two five-minute Fridays ago, and uh, I wanted to introduce you to the idea, and I'll revisit the definition here. The reticular activating system is actually a neural network inside your brain that is responsible for filtering out different aspects of your environment and then making you aware consciously of different aspects of your environment. 
it's also responsible for you ignoring different aspects of your environment. And the reason it's important is that at any given moment, you have millions of stimuli, you know, temperature variations, different air pressures, those of you're not usually consciously aware of, but those are going on all around you. There's different sounds and different noises going on. There's different stimuli in the form of people in, the, in events going on all around you. And if you were to pay attention to all those at once, it would literally be overwhelming. And as a matter of course, most of that stuff is inconsequential to your experience of life. Now, the number of stimuli that your conscious mind can attend to at any given moment, um, it varies according to the different studies. But let's just say that it's much, much less than your other-than-conscious mind or your subconscious mind. One rule of thumb that has bared out over time in my experience is that you can consciously attend to seven bits of information plus or minus two. And if it expands over nine bits of information at any given moment, you tend to go on automatic. You go into trance. For example, most of you are aware of telephone numbers. Now, if you were to look at all 10 digits at once and someone read them off, it would be somewhat hard to remember for the majority of people. But when you break it into area code, exchange, and then the four digits, it's a lot easier to remember. And I'm going to spit out a telephone number to test you. So here's all 10 digits. 214-777-8347. Did you catch all that? So if I break up those 10 digits into smaller subsets or smaller chunks, smaller chunk sizes, will you remember them more easily? Are you ready? I'm going to break them down into area code exchange and then the last four digits. 214-777-8347. Can you remember more of the number the second time or the first time? Well, in that little example, you have a taste of how overwhelmed the conscious mind could get if it was paying attention to every little thing in your environment. Now, comparatively, your other-than-conscious mind is paying attention to about 400 million bits of information every second and can process those really, really quickly. Here's another example. Now, I'm going to test your vocabulary. I want you to think about the word erdenus. Erdenus. And you're probably saying, eh, got nothing on that one. Because I made the word up. But in a nanosecond, you searched all the data banks, you referenced every word you've ever heard, compared it to different languages that you might be aware of. And in a nanosecond, you came up with, eh, nothing. <laughs> So to sum up the moral of that little example is that your conscious mind has trouble paying attention to very many facts or figures at any given moment. Your other than conscious mind is a warehouse, a powerhouse of taking in information and assimilating and computing. So your other than conscious mind is always paying attention to the things that are going on in your environment and then making you aware of it in consciousness. I call it a gift of awareness. It just kind of pops in your mind. 
Now, if you haven't guessed already, this has deeper ramifications as far as programming your other-than-conscious mind or accessing information from your other-than-conscious or your intuition. So here's an example of how I've used it for myself. And uh, it's around nonverbal communication. Now, in a previous episode, I talked about my fascination and how I was introduced to the the whole concept of nonverbal communication. But uh, to sum it up here, at any given moment, over 90% of the communication you receive is received nonverbally. And in that calculation, that only leaves about 10% for the the actual words that are used. Now, while words are important, uh, in the grand scheme of things, the specific words that people use are less important than the tonality in which a person communicates. For instance, I love you. I love you. Versus, I love you. Completely different. Same three words. I once did a presentation in high school. This is how far ahead of my time I was, I guess. Of the many different ways to say no. And depending on how you said no, would change the meaning of the utterance. And I'll share a little bit of that here. No. 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 No, no. So you <laughs> you kind of get the idea that you change the tonality, you change the, the inflection, and you change the meaning of a word. So back to the reticular activating system and how I utilized it to learn nonverbal communication. Now, there's about uh, 90 different variables in attenuating to what a person can display in their communication. There's gross cues and then minimal cues. The gross cues are going to be head movements, arm movements, gestures, leg movements, foot position, hand position. Then the micro cues can be uh, involved the eyes, eye movements, eye dilation, pupil dilation, um, fluttering. There's nostril flares. There's variation in pore size, in moisture on the skin, muscle tonus, tension or relaxation in the face or other parts of the body, uh, shoulder movements, finger movements. Then there's the amount of tension or relaxation in the voice, the timbre, the tone, the cadence, the pace, yada, yada, yada. You, You get the idea. There's a lot to attend to for your conscious mind. So I studied the list and I committed it to my other than conscious mind. I studied different video examples of different expressions in a way that I was able to train my other-than-conscious mind to pay attention for me. And now, when I'm engaged in conversation, most of that stuff is outside my conscious awareness, and my other-than-conscious mind kicks me in the side, so to speak, or makes me aware of when something's a little out of the ordinary. You see, as long as the message is congruent, There's nothing to pay attention to. But the moment there's some inconsistency, there's some incongruency because the body cannot not tell the truth. So even though a person may say one thing verbally, their body says another. And whenever I see an incongruency or whenever my other than conscious mind makes me aware of an incongruency, then I know it's time to ask a deeper question. 
You see, my other than conscious mind is sorting that experience. My reticular activating system is monitoring all the available information and looking for inconsistencies, incongruencies. In another example, how you probably use it without even thinking is driving. If you, especially if you commute to work or if you spend a lot of time behind the wheel, then you're moving in and out of traffic, speeding up, slowing down, attenuating to all the different cars and situations occurring around you. Then if something happens out of the ordinary that you should pay attention to, I mean, more specific attention to, then your other than conscious mind will draw your attention to it. It could be, you know, a driver in a car off to the right that keeps looking over their left shoulder because that signals, you know, they want to get over and they may or may not use their turn signal. So you might let up on the gas a little bit. You might see someone driving a, a little erratically or their behavior is just a little out of the ordinary and your other than conscious mind will make you aware of it. Now, how do I know that your other than conscious mind is primarily driving? Because many of the things and many of the activities that you do are outside your conscious awareness. You just respond. And while your other than conscious mind gives your conscious mind the feeling that it's making decisions, it's actually your other than conscious mind that's doing all the deciding and then just informing your conscious mind, hey, I'm doing this. (laughs) And I, I think the biggest illusion that people have is that they are consciously making decisions in their life, that they are consciously aware of everything that's going on, not by a long shot. You see, when you try and consciously control things, you experience a lot more stress, a lot more angst, because, you know, your little conscious mind isn't really adapted to for that. Its main job, the conscious, the role of the conscious mind is to point the powerhouse point the other than conscious mind in a direction. And then when you ask a question, look at the available data and then make a decision, make an executive decision about where to go. And then you turn it back over to your other than conscious mind. You see, when your other than conscious mind perceives a threat, for example, it will rally the forces, your adrenaline, your cortisol, all up like within four nanoseconds. And then about 12 nanoseconds later, you have the ability to make a conscious decision. Is this a real threat? Or is this, you know, should I run or stay and fight? Understand that the more you attempt to consciously control the events in your life, the greater the amount of stress, the greater amount of angst going on, and the lower the performance. This is what's referred to as self-consciousness or being too much in your head. It brings up paralysis of analysis, attempting to analyze every little aspect. And again, your tiny little conscious mind is not, does not have the ability to do that. It's not suited for that. So know your role. And the role of the conscious mind is to point yourself in a direction, choose a direction, and make a decision. And then turn everything over to your other than conscious mind to fulfill on it. But I have to admit that this is where uh, you need to learn how to trust your other than conscious mind. And it's a skill because by and large, uh, you're somewhat at odds with your other than conscious. Because you create these intentions and you find that your subconscious isn't typically or always on board. And so it appears as if your subconscious is sabotaging your efforts. 
Well, we'll address this in another podcast episode because we're try- starting to go down a windy road. But I wanted to draw that dynamic to your attention because it simply means that you're not in alignment. Your conscious intentions is not in alignment with your subconscious intentions. And because your subconscious mind is more powerful, the subconscious mind wins. And then you say something like, I'm just not good enough, or I, I keep sabotaging myself. And that's how we reinforce negative aspects of our personality through our conscious attention. Because your little aspect of consciousness is attempting to gather meaning from all this, and it must mean, I just don't like myself, or I'm just not good enough. Rather than ask the question, I wonder what's going on here. I wonder what I need to do to be in alignment with my other-than-conscious mind. I wonder how I can get everybody here, all the different parts of me, on board. And this is where we're starting to dip our toe in the power of questions. Einstein, he was some genius that came up with the theory of relativity. He said that given an hour to solve a problem and his life depended on it, he would spend the first 59 minutes coming up with the most appropriate question knowing that if he could find the right question, that the answer would be self-evident. So here's one question or one example of a question that a lot of people seem to ask when attempting to get information from their intuition or intuitive guidance. It goes something like this. What is the best approach or what's the best decision for me or in this circumstance? And when you're addressing your intuition, when asking for the best That is an ill-formed question because your other-than-conscious mind doesn't think that way because everything is working out for you. Everything supports you. The universe has your back. So there is no best right way to accomplish anything. So instead of asking what is the best road or what is the best path for me to take, the best decision for me to make, you can ask, what decision could I make that would be the most benevolent outcome for all concerned. Which decision would be the one filled with the greatest amount of grace and ease? If you need to make $3,000 or $5,000 and you ask your intuition, what's the best way to make $5,000? You could say, how many different ways could I easily attract $5,000 by such and such a date? Or I wonder how easily can I attract $5,000 by such and such a date? Or instead of committing to one particular way or one particular path or one particular solution, you can ask, I wonder how many different kinds of ways I can attract all the money I need. Do you feel the feeling behind what is the best decision here? What is the best road? It's like, you got to get it right. Instead, what is the feeling behind the attitude of gamification? If you made it a game, it's like, I wonder how many different ways can I attract that? I'm curious, how fast and how easily can I attract that money? Instead of focusing on how can I make it? So when we use questions beginning with I wonder or I'm curious, it opens up possibility. Now, when gathering information, why? is probably one of the worst questions to ask. And you know this as a kid. When your parent 
when your parent came to you and said, why did you do this? You didn't really know, but you would say, because, because the sky is falling, because the sky is blue, because, you know, it's Tuesday, because, because, because. Whenever you ask a why question, the only thing you're going to get is a story about why. And after because, you can basically say anything, and it will satisfy the requirements of of why. For instance, sometimes I have a client that will come to me and say, uh, I have low self-esteem. And if I was to ask why, I would get the story of their childhood. And you probably get the same thing, too, when you say, why do I feel depressed? Why do I feel this way? And you're, this is what you're consciously asking, and your other-than-conscious mind is say, well, given the parents, given the circumstances that you grew up with, given the events that happened when you were younger, it's no wonder you don't have self-esteem. It's no wonder, you know, you don't feel good right now. You see, when a client comes to me and says, I have low self-esteem, one of the first things I ask is, how do you know? And it usually shocks them because they never thought about it like that. I says, how do you know you have low self-esteem? And then they start giving me examples. And once they start looking at the examples, then they start experiencing the whole situation in a different way. And then I ask, is it all the time or is it just now and then? And 99 times out of, let's say 99.999999 times out of 100, it's rarely all the time. There's always an exception. There's always times when, you know, they feel pretty good about themselves, yet they consciously reinforce it. Remember the small part of your brain, the consciousness, they reinforce it with, I have low self-esteem. And then another question I ask is low compared to what? What are you comparing it to? You see, we're, we're taking, or I take this uh, amorphous generalized statement like almost like a condition of being them, it comes with low self-esteem. But when I asked some specific questions about what, how, when, then we start getting more specifics about the situation. And then it becomes more aware that it's not pervasive. It doesn't happen all the time. It's just now and then for the most part. But tying this back into the reticular activating system, when you or someone else says, I have low self-esteem, then your reticular activating system, your other-than-conscious mind, begins sorting your experience for examples where you have low self-esteem. This is how we reinforce a, a belief and gather evidence along the way. And this is where the confirmation bias factors into our experience. You see, your mind is rather lazy. It likes to do things in, in the sense of economy. It doesn't like to reinvent the wheel. Once, it, once you learn a pattern, it tends to generalize that pattern to other areas of your life. It's as if one size fits all. And rather than uh, reinvent your belief system, if you adopt a belief and then you gather evidence to support it through the process of the reticular activating system, you tend to seek out, and this is the confirmation bias, you are biased towards seeking out other information, other points of view that support your belief. 
And this is why the, the news programs have really gotten away from investigative reporting and basically feed you information the way you like to receive it, whether you listen to Fox News or Newsmax or CBS, NBC, CNN, CNBC, whatever. <laughs> you know, they have their audience. They have a particular point of view or a particular way they feed information out. And this is actually glaringly obvious at the gym. You know, if I'll be on the exercise bike or something like that, and they have several different TVs up lined up and different different channels lined up, you'll see one headline posed on one episode or one uh, news program, and then the same information set a different way in a different type of headline on the other one. And I'm sure that's something that I don't have to go too in depth with, that uh, you're quite aware of that dynamic going on in the in the marketplace. Okay, so tying your questions in, the questions you ask, into the, the concept of the reticular activating system, understand that your reticular activating system or your other-than-conscious mind is either in the process of adhering to the program that you've already had in place, or it's in the process of answering your most current question or the prevailing question of the moment. So this is how Sonia Choquette uh, handles this uh, in an intuitive way, this idea of the prevailing question. Uh, Perhaps you don't know where something is, you've misplaced something, you've lost it. And it's the idea that it's yours, it's still there. And this is where you don't consciously attend to it anymore. You, You basically turn it over to the management, you turn it over to a runner or a guide, Uh, you call in a runner, and uh, you have them find it. And then you forget about it, you put it aside, and sometimes within two minutes, five minutes, or a day or two, you find it. It finds you. Now, this is where some people question it or they're skeptical. Like, where is this information coming from? Aren't we just asking our subconscious? And this is why I refer to the subconscious as the other than conscious, because it includes your subconscious or your local accessor consciousness, your history, your, your mind. And then it also opens up the door to access information in the universal consciousness, the super consciousness. So when we say the conscious mind, which is that little part, the seven bits of information, plus or minus two, and then the other than conscious, then you have access to not only your subconscious mind, but the infinite. And who cares where exactly it's coming from? I have found the the less interested I am in exactly where it's coming from, the more answers I receive. And while some answers could appear from, you know, your subconscious or what you currently know or know you know, oftentimes it comes from not knowing how you know. So whether it comes from my subconscious or the infinite intelligence, I celebrate everything as if it's miraculous. I celebrate everything like it's a win and that I'm in the flow, in the conversation, that my other than conscious mind is there to support me and the universe has my back. To me, that's a more empowering conversation than just to say, yeah, it's just my subconscious. (laughs) Just. So, okay, the, the big takeaways here is that you have a reticular activating system. You have a network of neurons that are working to sort out your environment. So what you're currently conscious of is a result of the question, your current question that you have tendered to your other than conscious mind 
or your subconscious programming. And if you want a different result, if you want a different level of awareness, ask a different question. Ask a more empowering question. Ask about ease and grace. Get curious and wonder about the possibilities. What are you not seeing? What is your confirmation bias, your bias excluding from your awareness, or excluding from your experience? You see, if you adopt an attitude, uh, a frame about your partner or significant other or someone else that you love or someone else that you interact with, and in your mind you say, this, they're just being this way, this is how they are, then you send your reticular activating system out into the marketplace, out into the world to secure all the examples where that's true, confirming your bias, confirming your position. In fact, your reticular activating system won't even notice the times and the behaviors that are not like that, or it will minimize them. And this is why it's helpful and uh, productive to adopt the attitude of gratitude, to practice you know, and talk about and reinforce the things that you love and appreciate about the people in your life, your loved ones, your significant other, because then you train your other than conscious mind, train your reticular activating system to notice the things that you love and appreciate about them and reinforce why you're in relationship with them. On another front, if you've embraced the idea that you have low self-esteem and you've been accumulating data over time and you have a big why on why you have low self-esteem, you can rework that. You can reprogram that idea. First, who is doing the esteeming? It is you. And so you have a choice. Are you going to continue with this narrative of having low self-esteem or are you going to hold yourself in high regard, regardless of your past, regardless of how you've shown up. Because you get to say, you get to decide how much you love yourself. And then secondly, we understand that uh, this critical voice, this critical uh, dialogue that we have in our head about ourselves is not us talking. It's ideas that we've adopted. We might have heard them when we were growing up through less than stellar parenting or even just absent-minded parenting. But if you have that negative voice in your head, it's not you. It's coming from somewhere else. Because why would there be a program in your head to undermine the very person that you are with 24-7-365? Why would you choose that? Because you're all your God. So if you can love and appreciate you, love yourself unconditionally, like maybe you're a total screw-up, maybe you don't do anything right, or you have a long list, a long laundry list of things that could be cleaned up in your life. Love yourself anyways. Give yourself the benefit of the doubt. Be gentle with yourself. And ask the question, I wonder how many different ways I can love and support myself. So here we are near the end, and if you like this topic, understand that we're going to be talking more about this, probably more in-depth as we go, as we get more history. If you want to take a deep dive in it, I do have a course, The Unified Mind. It's going to be made available again very shortly with some updated modules and even more amazing material. So a couple questions that I want to leave you with is, I'm curious, how many people could you share the podcast with? I wonder if you know one or two other people 
that would get value out of listening to this conversation that would find themselves at home in our community. You see, if you just share with one other person, each and every one of you just shares with one other person, we can double the listenership of the podcast almost overnight. And what's even more valuable to me is that by you telling your friends, we're gathering or gaining a listenership, a a community of kindred spirits that are in the same conversation. They're invested in the same idea of expansion and growth. So until next time, this is Daniel Dano-V, suggesting you follow your bliss, suggesting strongly you follow your bliss and live the epic life. (laughs) 